G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. The story. I felt like I'd lost everything and my whole worldview and this idea of myself and everything was at an all-time low. Everything sort of culminated and I had good opportunities in life. I just squandered them all. I decided that I'd take my own life. I just couldn't see a way out. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax and welcome to The Story. Today we have one about a creative person who always expressed himself through his drawings. So, when his life got dark, so did his artwork. Michael Scary always looked up to his brother and was devastated after his suicide and began to follow his brother's destructive patterns of behaviour. Fortunately, God's love shone through. Michael is sharing his story with Shelley Scowen. Tell us about your life growing up. Uh, things were not fantastic, uh, especially around the age of 10 when your parents divorced. Uh, yes, Shelley. When I was uh, 10, I got sat down uh, by my mum and uh, she explained to me that uh, my brothers and uh, brother and sisters that I'd always known and uh, my, my dad also um, were actually uh, half-brother and sisters and... Uh, my biological father was actually someone else and everyone uh, who I'd been calling dad for uh, the duration was uh, not biologically my dad. Um, yeah, uh, that that shook me a, a, a bit. Looking back now, I think subconsciously it affected me and contributed to a lot of self-esteem and, and confidence and, um, and issues like that. Uh, through my teenage years. Um, it's amazing how those big life events, particularly when we're children, can go on to impact the rest of our lives. Yeah, they can. They can, yeah. 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 You have always been quite gifted when it comes to art, though, but you were using it for not-so-nice images in those days. No, I think uh, a reflection of what was going on inwardly was showcased in... Uh, my creative stream and uh, I always like to draw and that sort of thing but uh, I was into drawing more uh, dark uh, subjects like skulls and snakes and, and all those things that are attributed to things that are dark and, and um, sort of that was that was a bit of a, um, a security fence I think for me like showing the world that I'm like don't come near me and Sort of a self-protection, I think. If I try and analyse who I was as a as a new teenager, through through and on a couple of years after, I'm um, drawing those sorts of things. Yeah, I think um, I was in a lot of hurt and and feeling a bit lost, and and that carried through in what I drew and and how I expressed myself. Yeah, it's interesting because I've never really understood why people have been so drawn to all these very dark images. But I think you're right. It is a bit of that self-defense kind of mechanism, isn't it? 
Yeah, yeah, it can be a whole number of things in in what I've seen and and found in my own experience and and with um, lots of people that I know and and the things that they're drawn to, like imagery wise and and theme wise. Um, it's amazing what it boils down to and and what it can um, what it can reflect in a person's heart. Some mm-hmm. people are really drawn to darkness and death and that sort of thing and and not really consciously are are aware to sort of ask themselves, what does this, what does this mean um, for my life? Why, why am I drawn to this sort of stuff? And, and um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing. It's worthy of uh, hours and hours of chat time. But, hmm. yeah, I was definitely a subscriber to that sort of stuff and, and really was, wasn't headed on a good path as a young person, as, um, as we'll probably talk about. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Things just went from bad to worse for you uh, with the loss of your big brother. Yeah, uh, in 1996, I was uh, I was 13. Uh, my older brother took his own life. He was he was uh, into uh, smoking marijuana and this sort of a loose lifestyle. And um, like you said earlier, my parents got divorced um, prior to that, and the house sort of split and. Um, my older brother was always sort of disconnected. I didn't have a, a very close bond with him. I, I never really saw him, although I, I looked up to him so much um, in the little that I did see of him. Uh, he was always disconnected and distant, and um, <clears throat> there's a sort of a legacy of mental illness in, in our family, and uh, I'm sure that was a contributor, but the drugs and everything... Uh, which probably were, were sort of a band-aid to him, uh, exasperated and accentuated uh, the, the issues that he carried inside. And he, um, yeah, he took his own life, and uh, and that that also affected me, amongst other things. And and he was sort of like a, a role model to me. Uh, we didn't see Dad for a period of time, a number of years after uh, Mum and Dad got divorced, and. Um, so he was the closest male uh, role figure I had, and um, yeah, when he died, I sort of took on uh, the baton and uh, just finally got right into all the stuff that uh, he was into. Even though I, I didn't really wasn't exposed to any of it on part of um, his example directly. Uh, I, looking back now, I, I got on the same set of tracks and uh, got into smoking marijuana and stuff, we moved to the Gold Coast um, to sort of escape and, and have a, a new start, although I now know uh, wherever you go, there you are, and sort of if you don't deal with the problems on the inside, then it doesn't matter how far you run. Um, yeah, we moved down to the Gold Coast from Cairns, and um, I, I just slotted into the wrong crew, and um, didn't really fit in, I think, because of my own attitudes and my own perception of things, and, and so that pushed me further into a, a bunch of people who did accept me, and, and they were into um, all the things that probably any parent ideally wouldn't want their kids to be around and, mm-hmm. and that sort of stuff, and, and that felt like home to me. So I gradually um, rode this uh, course into... Uh, excessive drug use and, and just um, burning bridges in relationships and that sort of stuff and uh, didn't really have any aspirations or goals, didn't want to have 
kids or anything. I was really inward and selfish. And uh, whilst all this was going on, I thought I was the king of the world. At the same time, I was a really proud person and angry. And that's all reinforced by the environment I was in and the people I was hanging around with. That was sort of the, the nature of things. So mm-hmm. you, you feel justified in your behaviour as well. And it's interesting you described those people as accepting you and so you decided to hang out with them. Isn't it sad then, that because like, it's a similar kind of story we hear from lots of people, that the only people that accepted them were really the wrong kind of people. We need to change that as Christians. We need to be the ones that are accepting people and influencing them for good rather than all those people are out there that are accepting people and influencing them for bad. I agree, yeah. Yep. There's a there's a dire need in in the world these days for Christians to to stand in who they are in Christ and uh, mm. out of that relationship with Jesus, out of the abundance of that comes that desire to reach out and that that heart for the lost and, and the heart for the people who are broken and um, it's it's a mandate but not out of religious obligation or anything like that, just out of a revelation. Um, for me personally just appreciating what what God had done for me, what he has rescued me out of. I have a desire and a yearning to uh, reach out to other people and um, offer that same grace to the people around me. Michael, it really started reaching ahead where you were smoking a lot, you were smoking marijuana as well, and you were in debt. Describe what that time was like for you. Okay, so um, it got to a point where I was smoking weed when I arrived and got it. I was a uh, 30 pack a day cigarette smoker and um, I'd, I'd smoke potentially a, a $50 bag of marijuana a day if I could get it and uh, some days I'd, I'd have to go without and uh, that they weren't great days and I'd go around looking to uh, grab some off other people just because of the dependency that I'd uh, built up and it was actually more of a, a spin out, if you will, to be straight. It was a foreign feeling to be straight. I'd been taking so long and I actually got admitted to mental and drug rehabilitation uh, four times and uh, over a course of a couple of years and this this was when it uh, started to go really downhill. I actually uh, was in debt, $30,000 thereabouts and... Um, each time I was admitted, uh, I was I was diagnosed with a whole swag of um, medical uh, stereotypes and, and brand boxes, and and um, just given lots of medication to sort of tone me down and settle me down. I was diagnosed with drug-induced psychosis at one stage, and then bipolar and uh, manic depressive and um, drug-induced schizophrenia and, and lots of things and. Um, but after the third time, uh, I'd, I'd really whittled down my brain and, and the dopamine levels, as it was explained to me, had just diminished and, and they weren't regenerating. I'd, I'd just um, coated my brain in THC or something or other. And uh, I just, I, I felt like I'd, I'd lost everything and, and my whole um, worldview and this idea of myself and everything was at an all-time low and everything sort of culminated and I had good opportunities in life. Uh, I just squandered them all and um, time and time again I, I had over 
uh, 40 jobs and um, in various places and, and never got never got sacked uh, or fired apart from a couple of jobs. Um, I, I always left and, and couldn't, I was never stationary, I, I couldn't uh, fix myself down, I had no foundation in life or anything, I was just a loose cannon. Anyway, um, the full time I was admitted, uh, just prior, I, I decided that I'd take my own life. I just couldn't see a way out. You're listening to The Story. Today, Shelley Scowen is chatting with Michael Scary. And as we just heard, at this point in his life, Michael has really sunk into the depths of darkness and despair. However, next we'll hear the amazing way God's love shone through and turned the whole situation around. That and more when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax. You're listening to The Story. Shelley Scowen is continuing her conversation with Michael Scary. Before the break, Michael was at the depths of his despair and wanted to end it all. Next, we'll hear how God's love shines through an incredibly dark situation. I uh, connected the hose to my car and, and um, so on uh, down beside the highway in a dark spot where I thought no one would find me and um, just a cemetery in the background and, you know, set the scene up, I guess, without really planning to. It was quite a dark place I was in. And anyway, uh, I had a moment where I, I blacked out in the car and I, I think I was not far off passing away and uh, I felt myself drop out of consciousness and I felt this darkness that I, I can't explain or, or sort of draw out, but... Um, I was in a dark place, it was dark all around me, but it wasn't a physical darkness, it was a really dark place and it freaked me out. I was alarmed and really scared and, and I came to and I wanted to get out of the car and I, I went to reach for the door handle and I couldn't lift my arm because uh, the, the monoxide in my body had, had caused the, uh, the full weight of my body to be realised that it, this place is oxygen and, and you feel really heavy and stuff not a good thing and uh, anyway I didn't know what to do when I was freaking out so I used my other arm to leverage my my right arm to uh, unlock the door and, and I got the door open and I went to jump out and just fell straight on the bitumen and about 40 minutes prior I sent out some text messages subliminally saying goodbye and, and uh, one of the girls actually cottoned onto it and called mum and uh, I was living at mum's at the time because I, I had nowhere else to go and um, she went to my room and noticed I wasn't there. And I was living on chocolate milkshakes and couldn't even draw the curtains in my room. I was just a mess. And um, so for me to not be there was a big thing. And I rolled the car down down the hill uh, without starting, so I wouldn't wake anyone up. And, and anyway, uh, Mum's boyfriend at the time, uh, he found me. I, to this day, I don't know how, but... Um, I woke up in the local hospital uh, in intensive care on oxygen and uh, mum was told that I'd 
I'll possibly not be the same again and may have suffered brain damage and so on. And wow. I couldn't, I couldn't talk. I, I was just, just really damaged. And um, mm. but you were alive, so that's a start. You were alive and you were in hospital, so that's the best place to be uh, yeah. at that point in time. Yeah, um, looking back now, it was a great place to be in contrast to where I could have been. Yeah. I needed a cigarette <laughs> and I wanted to go. I was under guard, so um, I wasn't allowed to go anywhere. But a nurse came out of nowhere and uh, she uh, she said she'll take me out and um, she was allowed to take me out and these two guys came out as well to watch, watch us and... Um, she asked if she could pay, pay with me, actually, and uh, it was a bit foreign to me, but I had nothing to lose, and uh, so I let her pay for me, and I sort of rolled my eyes about it, and I was raised in Africa education um, before mum and dad got divorced, and was exposed to the gospel, but it didn't appeal to me, it didn't mean anything to me, and um, so, yeah, it was a bit of bit of a joke, and, and I wasn't in a good place mentally, but she prayed for me anyway, and, and I sort of... Uh, I remember almost crying, but I held it in. And, um, mm. I got admitted to a uh, hospital, mental hospital, for the fourth time. This time in the extreme area where the six foot high fence was, and oh, probably eight or nine foot in hindsight. And uh, yeah, I was in there for ten days, and then got discharged. And uh, yeah, that was horrible. Each time it was horrible, and. Statistically, if you've been in three or four times, then you usually um, uh, become a lifer and you're in and out of those places yeah. uh, on the regular and, and that sort of thing, with, with a few exceptions to the rule. But uh, I was fitting the mould nicely at hand. Mm. Um, after I got let out, I went back to mum's and I ended up uh, wanting to get out of mum's and Mum and I had a, a falling out and I, I really pushed Mum away and felt she was one of few people left that I hadn't pushed away. And um, anyway, I, I sort of worked my way into a, a mate's house where he was living with his mum. I ended up moving into the spare room out beside the pool, uh, separate from the main house and separate from the little granny flat that my mate lived in. And, and I was in there on my own and um, I'd cook on a barbecue each night and... Um, I started smoking weed again and that sort of thing and just was at absolute rock bottom. And one night, um, this is the beginning of my walk with Jesus. Uh, I was, I was just finished in my, in myself. I was at the end of myself and just, um, knew there was nothing left and I didn't want to live, but I was too scared to die because of what happened in the car. So I felt really cornered. So, I went to the light switch and I turned it off and it was pitch black and I was halfway back to my, my bed in the in the little room there and I fell down on my knees in the, on the floor in the black. I cried out to God and I was sobbing like when you're a kid and you just can't control your, your crying, you know, and I cried out to God and I, I swear a couple of times I got a few ass times and stuff. I was like, God, just help me, help me, I can't do this and I cried out to God and I'd made a conscious decision there and then. Something clicked in me like I'd decided, like I'd signed on the line that I was going to trust God. And mm. in all my years of uh, smoking drugs and, and binging speed and ecstasy and, and that sort of stuff and being reckless with my life, uh, I'd never heard voices once. I've never since, but I heard a, a 
small still voice now I know in my heart and uh, just saying it won't be more than you can handle and, and that represented to me that something started there and it was like affirmation and anyway so I freaked out and ran under my, and hid under my doona <laughs> and um, safest place in the world to be. It is. The monsters and the voices will never get you if you're under your doona. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, I still had tears on, just wet my cheeks, and um, but I'd made that decision, and, yeah. and um, I, I stayed there, and, and I fell asleep, and um, that's when that's when my walk began with God, and um, wow. yeah, so things things from there, and that was about nine years ago. Yeah, around nine years ago. Yeah, wow. I'm, I'm now thirty two, and I was about twenty three. Yeah. 22, 23, yeah. And so life has changed for you pretty dramatically in that time. Obviously, uh, you yourself have turned around a lot. Uh, you've now got a wife and two kids and one on the way. Uh, you're living a very blessed life. You've done a couple of apprenticeships, uh, electrical uh, apprenticeships, and you're doing some great things. You've been youth leading at the church. You've done all these wonderful things. You must be amazed at the change that God has made in your life. I'm forever amazed and constantly in awe and um, always always reflecting on uh, what God's done in my life and, and that's, that's given me a great deal of momentum to just outwork what he's done in me and, and just pour out in the measure that God's attributed to me. Like, I, I'm not a standout feature or anything like that. I'm just a, I'm just a normal person who's been given a new hope in Jesus and, um, and I've embraced it fully and... And uh, he taught me to walk again, so to speak, and, and I walk with him now. And, and in that relationship, um, there's just an abundance and there's, there's fruit that's come directly from that. And, and I attribute it all to God. And just knowing that and having that revelation that it is it is all of him and it's all because of him that I have this life, life in the full, life that goes beyond measures of, accomplishments and stuff which are which are all fantastic and, and I'm I am a truly blessed man but just to wake up in the morning with a sound mind and have it restored from being demolished uh, he's made beauty from my ashes and from what I burnt down initially and um, a little bit out of what I grew up in and a little bit of what I saw and a little bit of resentment and hurt that you collect along the way he's just restored me and uh, it continues to this day, like there's refining going on and that sort of thing. And, oh, yeah. There is for everyone. And I praise God for it, yeah. Yeah. Michael, thank you so much for taking the time to share your story today. I'm sure it's an encouragement to people who have friends and family that are struggling with these uh, issues and or maybe they're struggling with it themselves. I think it gives real hope to hear that other people have come through uh, and have... Um, yeah, and now living for God and living a very blessed life. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your story today. Thanks for having me, Shelley, and, um, and God bless. And to anyone who's listening, I just encourage you in the Lord and just also encourage you like, with, with what's been given us in the way of unmerited grace and a love that this world doesn't know apart from God. I encourage you to um, step boldly into what God um, has for each, each of us and to go uncompromisingly and, and just knowing who you are in God and enjoying God first and then out of that comes like the outworking of your gifts and talents and um, 
what you can accomplish for the kingdom is unlimited in God. And yeah, it's all to the glory of God. So I'm blessed. That, yeah, thank you. Thanks, Michael. That was Shelley Scowen chatting with Michael Scary whose life has completely turned around and now he walks faithfully with the Lord. What an encouraging and powerful testament to God's endless grace. Also, as we mentioned earlier, Michael is a gifted artist and has even used his talents to design shirts to share his faith in the Lord. What a wonderful transformation. Well, if you're listening today and you'd like to know more about the hope Michael has found and would like someone to pray with, our prayer line is 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's one 800 772 936. We would love to pray for you at 1-800-772-936. Thanks for joining us today for Michael's inspiring story. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. So I just sort of looked at these kids who were looking at me and there was a stunned silence and I said, I'm sorry guys, I've got nothing. And I sat down. And, you know, the poor old youth pastor had to sort of get up and bumble along and he was all embarrassed and I was all embarrassed and I just thought, well, that is it. I am done. I'm never going to stand in front of a crowd again. Dave Reardon is a talented writer and speaker and so it's a bit surprising to find out when he first started out in ministry, he had some highly embarrassing moments. He'll share some of these stories and about the remarkable way God came through for him and his wife next time. The story. story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.